Get that to work in. Hey guys, if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and turn to Third John. I know, declare service. We're going to be talking about, you know, declaring the, the, the gospel. So Third John was obviously the first choice. Um, but I thought, you know, Clint preached an entire book that had 40 chapters this morning. The least I could do was take one that has 13 verses. So if you've got Third John, it's right after Second John, which is equally as difficult to find. And it's right before Jude, which is also equally difficult to find. So if you're in Revelation, just kind of keep flipping back a little ways. So, but Third John, it's a beautiful little book. It's written by John to a man named Gaius, or Gaius, who is, um, you know, serving faithfully. That's, that's what he is. He is a faithful servant, loves Jesus, and his life is a declaration of what it means to live in Christ. And so, um, you know, as I was thinking about this service and just praying about what does it mean for us to declare, I think it's easy to go to our, you know, passages, go and make disciples, go and tell people about Christ. But the biggest declaration that we have of what Christ has done is the miracle that he has done by saving us. That miracle that he took sinners like you and I, and he says, no, they're going to be righteous. They're going to be kingdom building, believing, faithful servants for my glory. And so this is what this little book is going to just talk to us about. So if you've got it, so let's just take a moment. It won't take long to read it. And so here we go. So it says this, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth, behold, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul. For I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Beloved, it is a faithful thing that you do in all, in all your efforts for those brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church. You will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God, for they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. I have written something to the church, but Diotrephes, who likes to put himself first, does not acknowledge our authority. So if I come, I will bring up what he is doing, talking wicked nonsense against us. And not content with that, he refuses to welcome the brothers and also stops those who want to and puts them out of the church. Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil is not seeing God. Demetrius has received a good testimony from everyone and the, from the truth itself. We also add our testimony, and you know that our testimony is true. I had much to write to you, but I would rather not write with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends greet you. Greet the friends, each by name. Let's go to the Lord. Jesus, we love you. We stand amazed. We stand in awe of the fact that you took enemies, sinners, those who loved themselves, those who just sought their own pleasure and joy and were far from you, Lord, and you came and you grabbed us and you showed us your glory and you saved us, Lord Jesus, and we give you the praise for that. And we ask this evening as we study your scriptures, Lord, that you would be honored, that you would be glorified, and Lord, that we would be challenged to live and to walk in the great Savior whom we love. We love you, Jesus. Amen. 
Well, I know many of y'all probably remember Charles Barkley, especially if you grew up when I did. You actually watched the guy play basketball. Now you just think he's a funny commentator on, on you know, ESPN and TNT. Um, but before Barkley was a commentator, he was. He was a great player. And he played, you know, for the, he was drafted by the Sixers and I believe and then played for the Suns for years. And while he was playing for the Suns, Nike made a commercial with him. It's one of the most famous commercials of all time. It's worth checking out later on if you, you know, if you've got your phone, you know, take, check it out on YouTube. And what he came out and said in this commercial was very simple. He said, I am not a role model. That's what he said. I am not a role model. I'm not paid to be a role model. I'm paid to wreak havoc on the basketball court. Parents should be role models. Just because I dunk a basketball doesn't mean I should raise your kids. That's what, yeah, that's what he said. And so it came as a shock. The commissioner of the NBA wouldn't even let him wear any NBA logos or apparel during the commercial because he was just appalled by what Barkley was saying. And in one sense, I agree with the guy. He's not supposed to be the role model for my kids. And he's made it clear, he's elaborated on it even in some of his books later on, that what he was meaning to say is it needs to be somebody close to the child, an aunt, an uncle, a mother, a father, a grandfather that they can look up to, that there's somebody in that child's life that they have that can be that role model for him. But in another sense, he's absolutely and utterly wrong. And he knows it, but that's why he did it. And why is he wrong? Because all of us, every single person, is being observed by other people, and we ourselves are observing others. And what we're doing, what we say, what we act, what we think, and how we carry ourselves is a model to other people who are watching. So Barclay was being watched, but so are you and I. And so what is the declaration of your life saying to those who are observing you? What is it that we say by our life, by how we live and act? And if by observing one another, is that observation going to declare that Christ is king in your life? That's the question. And so we all are role models to some extent to people around us. Some of us more so than others, and parents have a great responsibility to their kids to be a role model for them, to model what Christ looks like as we live out this Christian life. And so we come to this little book, and there's this central verse in, in 3 John 11. It says this, Beloved, do not imitate evil, but imitate good. Whoever does good is from God. Whoever does evil has not seen God. And so in a very real sense, most of us are copycat people. We don't like to think of ourselves that way, but we are copycat people. What is God's prevailing ver uh, noun for Christians or for people in the, in the word of God? We're sheep, right? And friends, it's not a compliment. Has anybody ever been around a sheep? No, they're the only animal on earth that could never go back to a feral state. They cannot take care of themselves. They are completely dependent, and they produce fluff. That's what they do. And so God is saying, you are absolutely dependent. All of us are. And guys, we see things, and we imitate, and we copy, right? If this weren't true, why do you think they advertise everything on TV? And you see an ad, and guess what you now need? 
whatever was advertised. I had no idea that my phone and my camera, and you know, my phone and camera is just inadequate. I need the brand new one. It's got 1,800 megapixels and mine's only got 1,200. It doesn't work anymore. And so all these advertising are just trying to get us to what? To buy more merch, to buy new things, and we are just imitating. We are imitating people. But what are we going to imitate? And in this book, there's three characters. They're mentioned by name. You've got Gaius, whom John loves and loves him with his whole heart. And then you've got Diotrephes, who's not a great person. And he's there as the example. He's actually opposing Gaius at every step of the way. And then one more, Demetrius, whom is mentioned in passing, who had great character. And so again, I come back to this. As we look at this, what are we going to imitate? Are we going to imitate good or are we going to imitate evil? And I think when we look at the word of God, there are many pictures for us of people who are worth imitating. Paul says what? Follow me as I follow Christ. And so I think there's a fear sometimes for us that we say, no, we need to follow Jesus. Yes, but we need to imitate Christ so much so that people looking at us will go, hey, that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. I'm going to do my best to live that way. And so the first thing I want us to look at is when Christ, our lives declare that we need to put soul image before body image. All right, take a look at verse 2. Verse 2 says, Beloved, I pray that all may go well with you and that you may be in good health as it goes well with your soul, with your soul. And I love this. I love this. Because John is saying, in effect, I want your physical health to match the healthiness of your soul, not the other way around. Our culture has this way on its head. We read the first part of the verse, chop it off, and don't even worry about the rest, right? We read it like this. We say, I pray that all may go well with you, that you may be in good health. Praise God. So what are our prayer requests? Well, Lord, let me be healthy. Help me to get everything I need. I got bills to pay. And so I think we forget that the most important thing is what? What does your soul look like? How is the image of your soul, and does it reflect the person of Christ? I mean, in, in the U.S., I believe it was 2021, one of the stats said we spent $4.2 trillion on health. Whether that's the doctors, whether that's gym membership, whether that's our green powders, our other powders and everything else we put in our little supplements, whether it's our vitamins, whether it's everything we're trying to do to be healthy. $4.2 trillion. I, I, don't, I don't fathom that. You know, I mean, 10 bucks for me is still a lot, and it doesn't even buy you a good meal at McDonald's, right? And so to understand 4.2 trillion, I don't get it. But guys, that's what we're spending so that our bodies can be healthy. And still we have teenagers and thousands of people who are suffering from body image issues with depression and everything that goes along with it because they just cannot compete with all the social filters and everything that they see piled against them. And so, guys, the most important thing is not our body's image, our health. It is our soul. And I'm not offering a quick fix. It is a very real thing that many people face. Our teenagers are suffering as they're looking at their phones constantly, and they're just seeing an, just an unreasonable expectation that there's no way that they can compete with. And so I'm not offering a quick fix, but I am offering maybe a simple just tweak Instead of focusing on our health and our bodies to the detriment of our souls, focus on our souls and what they look like in Christ, and then the health might follow. 
It's getting the cart before the horse. And so let us take a moment just to stop and think, what does it look like for us to put soul image before body image? And to ask Christ to say, all right, let's get this right in our hearts and in our minds so that we can now live this out. Because in declaring this to the world, we no longer are going to be succumbed to what they're getting to us, what they're pushing day in and day out. It is only about what we look like in the eyes of Christ. And so the second declaration that we have is this. In Christ, our lives declare that love, joy, and truth walk hand in hand. They're not separated. They walk hand in hand. Verse 1 says what? It says that I, the elder to the beloved Gaius, whom I love in truth. Whom I love in truth. And he goes on to say, let me find it. I rejoiced greatly in verse 3 when the brothers came and testified to your truth. As indeed you are walking in the truth, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I think it's easy for some people and most of us to separate these things. In our culture today, love is what? Accepting anything and everything a person does regardless of whether it's nonsense or not, right? And truth is just a bunch of talking heads on TV getting angrier and angrier and yelling louder and louder and then the loudest voice wins. But with no real conversation, no real dialogue, and definitely no love with that truth, and then joy is almost absent. But the Bible never puts these things in opposition to one another. They are always held together. And so I think the first thing we need to understand is that love is the foundation of the Christian life. When I was in seminary, one of my professors asked this theology class. It was hilarious. And he says, what is the prevailing foundation for the church? And so, being good seminary students, we're trying to find the most obscure passages we can. We're trying to find great theological answers and all this other stuff. And he just writes one word on the board. He says, it's love. And then he challenges to all the next week to go back and prove him wrong. But guys, listen to John's words. In the Gospel of John, in John 13, 34, it says this, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. In John 15, it says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. In 1 John 4, 7 and 8, beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. And then in John 4, 19, we love because he first loved us. Without love, there is no church. Because God is love, when the church loves one another, they are demonstrating the foundation of who God is. And this is why Clint and, and all of us up here repeat this over and over again. There is no reason other than the love of God for many of us to be in the room and to love one another. Our backgrounds are not the same. Where we come from is not the same. Some of our likes, our dislikes, they're not the same. But the one thing that is the same is that Jesus saved us. And he loved us. And therefore, we love one another. That is the foundation of the church. And not a mushy, gooey, feel-good, not a Disney princess movie. 
This is love that is at its foundation, a self-sacrifice that says others are more important than myself. And who they are in Christ is the one thing that brings me the greatest joy. And that great joy is to see them grow in Christ. This is the foundation of the church. Love is the heart and soul of the gospel. And then because of that, truth is now a testimony and a person. Truth is a testimony of your life. What you believe matters. And what you believe needs to be in a person. I love this. The brothers came and they testified that Gaius loved the truth. And in 3 John 3, John says, I rejoice greatly when the brothers came and testified to your truth, as indeed you are walking in the truth. So what in the world is Gaius walking in? Well, John does some beautiful things with the truth, the word, and Christ. John 17, 17 says what? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. This is Jesus' high priestly prayer, and he's praying for his disciples, and he says, sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. But John, in 1-1 at the beginning, he says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And then in John 1.14, he says what? And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. So John, not in a figurative sense, but in a real sense, says the word is truth. The word was God, was with God, and the word became flesh, and his name is Jesus. This is who Gaius is walking with. This is the truth that he is walking in. It is Jesus Christ. And because he's walking in Christ and with Christ, that truth is put on display. And so, my friends, when we love Christ, when we walk with him, we are putting him on display. It is him who is at work in us, working out his, this salvation in us, and it is putting on display his glory. And so when we walk in the truth, we are in a very real sense putting on display Christ. And so guys, if we walk in truth, and if we continue to walk in this, what does it do for those who hear about it? Why did we rejoice when Ray gives this testimony? Why did we all clap? Why did we just rejoice in our hearts? Because one more sinner found Christ. One more person said, I need Jesus. And now they're putting sin to death in their life. They're starting to walk with Christ. They're saying, I need to be baptized immediately. Can we make that happen tonight? <laughs> you know? They're saying, I want to follow him. This is why we rejoice, because someone found truth. And now that testimony is their testimony, that Jesus saved them. A sinner saved by grace, just like the rest of us. And the snother sinner who says, now I am walking with my Savior. I am walking with Christ. And so joy becomes the settled emotion of those who hear and those who continue to walk. And joy, as Clint reminded us this morning, is not just the happiness and the feeling, the giddiness of life. I mean, that's so based on circumstances. But joy, joy is being able to walk through anything that we come with and know that my Hope, my foundation, and everything I have is in the Lord. This kind of joy can't be taken. That kind of joy has never gone away. And I love this because when you read this little book, you realize, oh, man, John is just, this guy is amazing. 
And then you get to this guy, Diotrephes, right? And what I love about the Bible, and one of the reasons I believe it's truth, is because these little things are in here. This poor guy's name is in here as an example for all time that he is not a great dude. He loves himself. He hates authority. He's power hungry. He's opposing the believers, and he's trying to kick out the church, those who are trying to welcome in the strangers. Well, guess who he's trying to get kicked out of the church? Gaius. Because what is Gaius doing? He's welcoming in the strangers. He's trying to make them, you know, he's showing them hospitality. He's showing them real practical love, and he wants them to grow in Christ, and he is proclaiming these are Christ's followers. And here comes Diotrephes saying, uh -uh, we're not going to listen to John. We're not going to listen to the authorities. We're only going to listen to me, and I'm going to try to kick everybody out who doesn't agree with me. Does that sound like a position you want to be in? No. So John is not writing to somebody who's got everything going for him. This guy is being persecuted and opposed at every step of the way, but yet joy continues to be able to reign. Why? Because joy is not based on our circumstance or the things that are happening to us. And it's not about us being happy. It is about who has saved us. And when we rest in the foundation of Christ, when we rest in him, joy becomes apparent to all. And that's when people can look at you and go, how in the world can you continue to have joy given this? Jesus, that's how. No matter what it is. And we've all known people, we've seen people walk through great suffering, whether it's sickness, whether it's losing children, loved ones, no matter what it is. And you go, how in the world did they do that? Well, they did it through Christ. And that is the declaration to the world around us that Jesus takes us and he walks us through whatever life gives us, and we have joy in him. And so again, these three things walk hand in hand. Joy, love, and truth. They are not separated. They walk hand in hand, and they will walk with us in the person of Christ until our race is over. And then the final declaration that we have in these short verses is this. In Christ, our lives declare that love is a very, very, very practical thing. It really is. It is super, super practical. They did not have Airbnb back then. I know it's hard to believe, you know? They didn't have the Hyatts. They didn't have resorts. They couldn't go on Verbo and just pick a place to stay. When John sent the brothers to Gaius and the church here, there was nowhere for them to stay. There was nowhere for them to go. They didn't have a place that they could make a reservation for. You know what they were dependent upon? They were dependent upon the brothers and sisters in that town to show them hospitality, to invite them into their homes, to give them a place to sleep, and to give them food and water and shelter, and to very practically love and meet their physical needs. I mean, this is, it's, it's not some, you know, ethereal, it's not some theoretical thing. It is super practical. They walked on a dusty road. They're filthy. I don't know how many miles they had to go. And when they got there, they're tired, they're dirty, they're sore, they're hungry, and they're thirsty. And love looked like this. Come into my home. I'll feed you. I'll clothe you. I'll wash your feet. I'll give you a place to lay your head so you can sleep in safety. And then John says, and when you send them out, send them out the glory of the Lord. Send them out worthy of the Lord. So not only bring them in, but when you send them out, one commentator said, you actually needed to walk with them out of town for quite a ways. 
because there's not exactly a roadmap. Again, we take all these things for, you know, we asked Google, get us home, right? All right, turn left at the stoplight. They didn't have that. You needed to walk with them to get them on the proper road. There was safety in numbers so that you didn't get mugged along the road. And so in a very real sense, Gaius is walking with them, pointing these brothers in the right direction, meeting their needs, and inviting them to their home and showing them very simple hospitality. And then what does John say about this? He says, therefore, we ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Yeah. Love's super practical, guys. And, you know, one... In my heart, I want all of us to go out and be missionaries. I want all of us to leave tonight. Let's get in a plane, go across the world, and just tell the, the unreached people about Christ. But is that reasonable for most of us? Is that the call that God has on almost all of our lives? No, it's not. All of us are going to wake up tomorrow. We're going to go to our workplace, and we're going to spend our Monday through Friday like we've always done. And for almost all of us, this is God's call in our life. But can we show simple hospitality and love to those we meet? Absolutely. Can we take a friend to lunch? Can we see somebody who's hurting and go, oh man, walk up to them and ask them the real question, how are you doing? What's going on? Is there anything I can do for you? These small, simple, practical ways are how almost all of us are going to show love in a real sense throughout our lives. And John says, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. Friends, love is super practical. It doesn't have to be huge. It doesn't have to be big. I mean, like yesterday, you know, watching BT, you know, and their stack team cheat a little bit. But I was looking around, and how many people were out helping? You know, just serving hot dogs, cooking cheesesteaks, which were fabulous. You know, watching kids, handing out waters, keeping ice chests full, cleaning up. These are simple little things. They're super practical, but they're expressions of love. That's what they are. And they're felt by those who are watching. They're felt by those who are around and seeing, man, that is how practical love works. Guys, these are the declarations of our lives. Gaius was doing nothing super fancy, nothing super spiritual. All he did was welcome strangers into his home, give them a place to sleep. And John says, brother, you are a fellow worker for the truth. Praise God. Praise God. Guys, this is our lives. It doesn't have to be super complicated. And I loved what Clint said this morning. We'll kind of close with this. He says, you know, it's not about simply writing what, how do you say it? Not simply about writing big checks and spending all our monies on direct, direct Christian or mission-minded things. It's about seeing every moment of our lives as a gift from God for us to use for his glory. That's it. And so here's a very real and practical sense that how can we declare this good news? We can do it by recognizing that we are role models. Sorry, Charles, we are. And we're going to be role models that say, I am modeling Christ in my life to the best of my ability, and I'm going to give him the glory, and we can do it in super practical ways, and we can remember that it is about our soul and what God sees in our soul, not what we try to do for our health, not what we try to do for our wellness. It is about seeing our soul as a gift from God. And so, folks, 
I love you. And let us go out and try to live to the best of our ability for the glory of God and to just practically continue to love one another. Jesus, 